Welcome to the Six Ways to Sunday podcast, hosted by award-winning television director, documentary filmmaker, author, and speaker, Craig D. Forrest. Join Craig for the next few minutes as he interviews leaders, artists, and creatives about trends and insights shaping our digital world and faith-based media. This podcast is produced and brought to you by Matchstick Media International. Now, here's Craig. Talking to Connie A. Baker, who is a trauma recovery specialist and licensed professional counselor, among many hats that she has worn over the years. In the previous part of our conversation, we were talking about religious abuse and the trauma of of it all at at different levels. Um, The media can even be part of the finances of when you give money now, which is control sometimes, Mm -hmm. many times, God will bless you. Yep. You know, but only if you give to my ministry. I, there's a famous ministry that's based in the Midwest. You know, I'm going to bring you all in for free, but the obligation is you're going to give to my ministry. Yeah. And you could take that to the secular side as well. They oh, do sure. that. They come to our banquet and right. it's all taken care of. But now we're going to hand out the, the fundraising envelope yeah. and think of what you're... Okay, and, and many of us are familiar with that. Perhaps we can make this more personal in many, many ways to... Uh, Anyone in the audience that is beginning to recognize and identify well, religious abuse that they see, but also religious abuse that they have uh, uh, undertaken themselves that, that, that has been directed their way. Yes. What are some of the steps that you see, and, and probably this happens in your practice of, of counseling, what are some of the steps you see that will help people to uh, to recover, I know you have one chapter called "Feelings and Fallout" in your book. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about that. Yeah, oh, part part of the really sticky part of recovery is I'm going to go back to the fact a lot of people don't know what's happened to them. Confusion and disorientation are hallmarks of people who have gone through religious abuse. And they've learned how to cope. Yes, they've learned how to keep going and go back to church and sometimes with very intense physical and emotional responses. I had a, I had a client one time who'd gone through really horrible, she was actually a, a staff pastor's wife, and she went, uh, she said, Connie, I was able to go to the church, go to church for the first time in months. I said, really, how'd it go? She said, well, I went to the women's restroom and, and vomited and then went to church. I was like, oh my goodness, because for her, the obligation to go to church was so strong that she was overriding her body's own um, strong communication that you are in an unsafe place. This is this is you're being traumatically triggered, and so. But but a lot of times we don't we don't see what actually has happened to us. And part of this is how I'm going to talk to evangelicalism specifically here. How 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 the, how the evangelical community deals with is, you got your feelings hurt in church. You need to get over it. You need to get your eyes on Jesus and off of people and just move on. That is, I mean, that is a standard standard because you do not want to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You need to get right back in. You need to basically the message we get is pretend like nothing has happened when absolutely something huge has happened. So what happens is a person goes through this and is profoundly confused because all these messages say, 
you're being too sensitive. You're just taking things too hard. You don't have. You're, you're doing it wrong. You're, you need I, to submit. You need to submit to authority. You need to have a servant's heart. Exactly. All of these very spiritual. And we all need to have a servant's heart, but let's not manipulate the dynamic of that. What does that really mean? Exactly. And so the manipulation of this is: you better be in church no matter what, or you better be. Uh, reading your Bible or praying or listening to worship music, all of these things, interestingly, can be traumatic triggers for people who've gone through religious abuse. And the church doesn't understand that. Um, in, in trauma, um, you know, if we were to talk to a veteran from Afghanistan and one day go on a walk with him and we end up walking by a shooting range and this guy just starts flinching and ducking and, you know, and going for cover. We'd go, oh gosh, this isn't good. Let's get you out of here. No, no, no. This isn't good for your brain. Let's keep going. What we don't understand a lot of times is in the church, you know, this veteran's gone through combat. He's been traumatized and he gets exposed to similar sounds and, and, um, and sensations and his whole body reacts the same things happen in religious abuse. So it gets really gets to be a mind trip for somebody who is trying to make sense of what they've gone through. So the first thing uh, is education. To me, the first first step in healing is what actually happened to me. Um, I earlier- But they also have to be willing to uh, peel away the layers of the onion and yes. come and ask for help. Totally, a lot of times there, and that doesn't always mean <clears throat> that help can look like a lot of things. It can look like a book. It can look like a good YouTube video. It can look like a good friend who listens. It can look like a therapist. It can look like support group. Support groups. It can look like all kinds of great things. We are talking to trauma recovery specialist Connie A. Baker in the podcast, and we will be back in 32 seconds. This podcast features engaging conversations with leaders, artists, and creatives sharing about current trends and insights shaping our digital world and faith-based media. Today's episode is produced by Matchstick Media International, a nonprofit that's passionate about inspiring both visionary leaders and young creatives to harness the power of media to further the gospel. To learn more, visit us at matchstickmedia.org. Now, back to Craig. We're back talking to Connie A. Baker. You can find her at ConnieABaker.com about religious abuse. What is it and what does it entail? And in, uh, in a moment, we're going to talk about how do you recover from it? Mm. The first step, in my opinion, is education. You know, 60 years ago, you and I, <clears throat> that was, of course, before we were ever I was born. negative 27. Exactly. exactly. And me negative 37. Exactly. Um, but 60 years ago, our culture did not have a framework for sexual abuse. Yeah. We didn't understand you, you, how to we, talk about you, it. It was a taboo subject. It, exactly. And we just don't talk about it. It's weird. Something's not right. Now, 60 years later, we have a framework where we understand people are groomed, they get abused, and the fallout from that is really dramatic and difficult. Um, and the, as a society, we get it. Religious abuse is where we were kind of 60 years ago. It's still not well-defined. People don't understand it. So to me, education is primary. Early on today, you and I were talking about different different messages of, of religious abuse. Like, you know, you need to uh, play by the rules. You don't ever question the authority. Um, you, If you say there's a problem, often you become the problem. 
uh, you know, so all these different... There's a, can be a shunning, shunning of you. Absolutely. You're blacklisted. So there's all kinds of characteristics that people need to get familiar with. What does this thing look like? A lot of times when I'm dealing with a, a religious abuse survivors, they read those lists and go, oh my goodness, that is verbatim what happened to me. But nobody's ever put that into words because some of these things are kind of spiritualized things we say in the church. We have our own language, don't we? Oh, it's such a strong subculture and sub-language and all of those things. And so people need to get educated. That's one of the huge things. That's one of the first steps is realize this is a thing. This is not just, I mean, do sometimes people, are they oversensitive and get their feelings hurt because they weren't chosen for the solo, for the choir, the Sunday? Yes, of course. We know but that happens. But that's not what we're talking about. That is so not what we're talking about. We're talking about that church secretary that you were talking about, where she got leveraged and controlled and bullied. And then when she left, I don't know the rest of the story, how did that play out? And so that's the sort of thing where it how changes you, your uh, life. How do you recover from that? How, okay, education, validation, to find out, oh, it's a thing. Find other people who've gone through it. It's it's so significant to find a community that goes, oh, we're talking... We're talking, you're, you're hearing what I'm saying and realizing how horrible it was. And that may have was. to be a virtual relationship it because if is. you live in, uh, like you live in Portland, the person that uh, identifies with you might be in Boise or New Hampshire. Exactly. Or, or uh, you know, great overseas. Ne- great overseas. And you have to have a, a way to have a conversation. Exactly. That's the beauty of online networks now. Couldn't have done that 20 years ago. No, you'd have had to meet in person and there's all kinds of extra... Or write letters to each other. Letters and, and there's just, it's way less cumbersome. So it is very beautiful. Some other really key elements for recovery um, are what I call self-definition a lot of times when we've gone through abuse we've been told by that power figure who we are what we should be about you know what our personality is and what we want what we don't want and a lot of of this comes uh, um we have to be able to actually define ourselves say a lot of us don't ask what do i want how do i feel uh, you know, I'm thinking of that church secretary you're talking about. She had to su- suppress those for years and say those don't matter. And so for her to come back and say, whoa, uh, what do I, I need to get out of here. Eventually she realized that. So that defining, you know, in, in therapeutic terms, we call those boundaries. To be able to say, here's who I am. Here's who I am not. So that's a really, a, a really important element. You know, I often... Um, uh, the tri- there's another triad that I deal with in one of the chapters in my book, and that is of guilt, responsibility, and control. Boy, those things, that is one messy, tangled triad for anybody who's gone through Say trauma those words or, again. or abuse. Say those words again. Responsibility, guilt, and control. Wow, that's, that's a big one. It's uh-huh. huge. Yeah. You get it, yeah. It, it, and they're tied together. Um, a lot of times, abuse survivors take way more responsibility for what happened than is even be even within the realm of reality because Do they blame themselves absolutely and here's the reason deep down i found working with my own heart in this area as well as my you know clients and other survivors is that if we're responsible then we've we had a bit of control 
those two things go together. And if we say, I really was not responsible, you know, from the outside, we think, why would you take responsibility for that? That's crazy. And the person goes, yeah, but da, 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 I was kind of responsible. And we're just, we're gassed that they would even take responsibility for, for it. But what happens is, the reason is, is because deep down, we know that if we're responsibility were responsible, we had some control. And to think we did not have control, most humans cannot stand They're constantly that. kicking themselves, I didn't do something. Yes, and if I if I can kick myself hard enough, long enough, then I'm gonna figure out what it was I didn't do right and I, that I can control it. You're beating yourself up. Totally, absolutely. That's exactly, mm-hmm. that whole triad of guilt, responsibility, and control, all of them go together. The guilt is the beating, the beating themselves up. So one of the final things I talk about, and I save it for the end, is I call it the F word (laughs) and forgiveness because I call it the F word with tongue in cheek, of course, because often people who've gone through religious abuse have had the idea of forgiveness horribly leveraged against them. They, they've been told, let's say, let's say it's a pastor. Yes, I've hurt you. The pastor says, but you need to forgive me and you need, the Bible says you need to forgive me and you need to trust me again. And so you're in the wrong if you can't stay in relationship with me. Forgiveness and then trust me and they tie those together, which I think they are absolutely not tied together in scripture or in life. But the, so this, the, let's say the pastor says, you, you've got to forgive me. This person says, well, I want to do the right thing by God and I should forgive. And it gets all scrambled in their head and so I tread very lightly on that word. I say, let's use some other words because some of you guys are going to have strong reactions to the forgiveness word, the F word, because it is, um, has been so abused and, and leveraged so horribly against uh, people by very abusive leadership. Wonderful conversation with Connie E. Baker and just really powerful dynamics about how religious abuse is part of our lives. And we are going to continue this conversation in the next episode. And we hope and trust you will join us then. Thanks. You've been listening to the Six Ways to Sunday podcast with Craig D. Forrest, brought to you by Matchstick Media International, dedicated to excellence in media through inspiration, vision, and education. To learn more, visit us on the web at matchstickmedia.org. That's matchstickmedia.org. Your generous donations, large or small, help defray costs for producing this creative podcast. Thanks for listening and subscribing.